Describing how the gift of prophecy can work in a person's life, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. They're not listening to that study they heard on the radio. They're not listening to their spouse, but they listen to you. I want you to go. I want you to share. You're going to be the 20th person that's going to give them this, and from you, they're going to receive it. And so God impresses upon you a word or a thought or an exhortation or a correction or an encouragement, and as you obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit, He leads you in sharing that word with those that He sent you. It's very natural. It's not a weird thing. It's not goofy. It's not interruptive. It's just simply hearing from the Lord and moving forth in that word. This is amazing grace. Often the gifts of the Spirit can operate, as it's been said, in a supernaturally natural way. But it's so easy for us to miss it. I'm sure you don't want to miss out on what the Lord has for you, so stay tuned for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In Romans chapter 12, we come to a partial listing of the gifts of the Spirit. Here now to get things started with a basic yet critical question is Pastor Ed. What is your spiritual gift? Do you know? I mean, that's a good question. It shouldn't take a believer 20 years to figure out what their spiritual gift is. It should be recognizable very early on. And in this section of Romans, we're going to look at these seven spiritual gifts one by one. Remember, we looked at these seven spiritual gifts and seven being the number of completion. These giftings really represent how Jesus would serve and minister on the earth today if he was here physically, but he's not. He has died. He was buried, and Jesus Christ rose again, and he ascended into heaven, leaving his church, you and I, on the earth to serve and to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so every single one of you has been given a spiritual gift, individually and uniquely. Some of you have more than one of these gifts, because it's really cool as we watch them and unfold them one by one, you're going to see how many of them overlap one another in serving. And you're uniquely, God has placed you uniquely in the body so that you can be used. That's so encouraging. Not only that you can be used, but it's important to, you know, to know that you have a place in the body of Christ. And even bringing it down home to us, you have a place in this body of believers to exercise your gift unto the Lord. And so we're going to look at them one by one. Notice chapter 12, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now all the gifts fall into one of two categories. They are either verbal gifts or nonverbal gifts. Prophecy is a verbal gift. It's a gift using of the words. Now, secondly, in verse 7, ministry or service, if we have ministry, let us use it in our ministering, that's a nonverbal gift. He who teaches in teaching. What kind of gift do you think that is? What? Is there anybody in the room today? Hello? Thank, I mean, how many people are here? Three? It's a verbal gift. There's a little participation because I want you guys to stay awake. 
I know it's first service. Some of you haven't had your coffee yet. Verbal, nonverbal. Okay, so teaching is a verbal gift. And then we have he who exhorts and exhortation. What kind of gift do you think that is? Verbal. Giving is the next gift. What kind of gift do you think that is? Nonverbal. He who leads with diligence. What kind of gift do you think that is? That's a trick. It's both. <laughs> it uses both. He who shows mercy is a verbal gift with cheerfulness. And so these are the gifts. The way we're going to do it is I'm going to define the gift for you. I'm going to show how it operated in the life of Jesus. I'm going to show how it operates within the church. I'm going to walk you through some of the dangers that are before a person that has that gift. And then at the end of our time, all the way at the end of all seven, we're going to have a little insert for you that shows all the ministries of our fellowship and where they fall under the different giftings so you can step out and go, oh, I'm gifted in this area. I should step out in this area. And we're working on a list right now and it'll be available toward the end of this series. So number one, how do we define this gift of prophecy? The gift of prophecy is a verbal gift and you can define it as simply declaring the truth. A person with the gift of prophecy declares the truth. The gift can be defined as really from the word itself, which literally means to cause to shine. And so God has given some men and women to his church that has the supernatural ability to cause God's word to shine in a particular situation with a particular person. Now, often when you think of the word prophecy, you immediately begin to think of that Old Testament type of prophet that stands up and says, thus says the Lord, and speaks forth some heavy-duty word from God. But when the gift moves into the New Testament, we see a little different twist that God uses in the people. No longer foretelling. And there's a distinction. You might want to jot these down. In the Old Testament, the gift of prophecy was more of a foretelling, a future element to what God had to say to his people, foretelling. But now in the New Testament, the gift is exercised more along the lines of forth-telling, F-O-R-T-H, where the word of God is being given forth because God is not giving new doctrine today. He's not speaking forth new doctrine. The faith is once and for all being given to the saints. And so Doctrine is not being written now today. It's not given new. There's no one that's thus saith the Lord and giving forth new doctrine. But there are those that are speaking forth God's word into a person's life inspired by the Holy Spirit. Just able to see a situation and the Holy Spirit says, this is what you need to share with them, this verse, and just give it to them. And God, he uses you to do that, to foretell. Now, jot this down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we give the definition of a person that prophesies, a person that speaks forth God's word. There are three things that happens. Well, flip over. Let's just turn over. The first Corinthians chapter 14. I asked you to, last week to read that for homework, so get ahead if you haven't. Read chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. And right at the beginning, we have a definition. We have a definition for prophecy. Right there in verse 3. 1 Corinthians 14, verse it says, he who prophesies speaks, number one, edification, number two, exhortation, and number three, comfort to men. So a person with the gift of prophecy, when he gives forth God's word, she or he or she gives forth edification. That word means what? To build up. 
So using God's word to build someone up, one of the ways that God really uses this gift is to help you and I trust in God. God will send someone along in our lives with this gift of prophecy and the end result that we are built up and our faith is increased. People with the gift of prophecy often show up when our faith is lagging and when we're doubting ourselves and when we're wrestling and God will send someone with the right word at the right time and the end is, I trust God. I'm trusting him. And you'll find that God will put people in your life like that to continue to do that regularly. Speaking forth the word of God through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the person with the gift of prophecy is now a vessel that God can use as a mouthpiece to edify, to build up. Those with this gift often build up. The second thing we notice that happens is that they exhort A person exhorts. That means to push a person on. You have encouragement that really comforts a person, comes alongside and encourages, but then exhortation is pushing pushing someone on. Come on, man, it's time to get up. No more pity party. No more wallowing in sorrow. You get a guy that comes forth with God's word and says, it's time to get up, get back in the game, let's go for it. And so, when a person's exercising this gift, you'll find that they're stirring you up. Or they're challenging you. You got a person in your life, spiritually, that challenges you all the time, they probably have the gift of prophecy. And they're using it a lot in your life. Because you need to be challenged, and so do I. Not only that, notice the third thing, though, is a person with the gift of prophecy also speaks comfort. Just to be a reminder that things are going to be okay. That God is still on the throne in your life. And so God will send someone into your life, and they'll speak forth God's word, And you'll be reminded, you know, God is still in control. He's still watching over us. He still loves us through this. That all things are working together for good. Sadly, sometimes we forget it and we we are tempted to believe that we're not in the Lord's hands anymore. And so someone will come forth with God's word and to remind you, you know what? Things are okay. God is still in control. Now, a person with a prophetic gift often sees things in sharp contrasts. So you have that gift, you often see things in sharp contrast. As a matter of fact, you might be described as a person that always sees things in black and white. That's it. No gray areas for me. It's this or this, man. And especially when it comes to the Word of God, it's very hard for you to see anything, but this is what God's Word says. There's no question about it. No gray area for you. It's always in sharp contrast. As a result, <laughs> those of you with the gift of prophecy are not always noted for your tact <laughs> or for your diplomacy. As a matter of fact, you sometimes, you really hurt people because of your black and whiteness, because a lot of people do see gray and you don't. A lot of people still are wrestling with the text that you are already clear on and they're still in the gray area. You know, a person with this gifting are often known as being bold. You might be described as being a bold person or someone that's very outspoken. You also might be known as someone that's very persuasive when you're talking or someone that leads. Those that have this gift of prophecy are often heavily grieved by sin. So much so that those that have this gift will often describe themselves as just turning off the news but they can't deal with it anymore of the kind of sin that's increasing in our world today. And it just breaks your heart. I mean, it breaks your heart. Like you could be watching the news with someone else and it doesn't affect them at all. But you, you're just getting all right. There's a rise coming out. You're just, oh, I can't stand this anymore. 
because you know the truth and you see the truth. A person with this gifting is usually described as very serious. Very serious person. Not a lot of smiles on this person's face. A person that doesn't hold back and also described as a person that isn't known for mincing their words, man. They just, this is the way it is. Here it is. And so, many times, they're really not known for their sense of humor or they're asked of often to just loosen up a little bit, man. You're a little wound up tight. And those that are laughing have already found out their gifting. <laughs> Having the gift of prophecy now doesn't necessarily mean that you have the office of a prophet. That has changed through into the New Testament where there are different ministries now, not necessarily given the office of a prophet. The two are separate and distinct. Although the office of the prophet may not be yours, you can still have this gift of prophecy. In fact, Paul encouraged all believers to desire this gifting, to speak forth the word of God. You can jot it down in 1 Corinthians 14 again. In verse 1, it says, Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy so that it's unleashed in the church to edify and exhort and comfort the church. To build one another up. He who, speak, who prophesies speaks forth that edification, that exhortation, and that comfort. Flip over to Luke chapter 4 now. With that definition, prophecy, declaring the truth. Let's look at how it operated in the life of Jesus. Luke's gospel chapter 4. Very powerful in the life of Jesus as he went forth with prophecy on his lips, being God in human flesh. He comes into the city of Nazareth there, picking up in verse 16 of chapter 4. And he opens the scroll in the synagogue. It says, Isaiah 61. It says, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So there is the word of God in written form. Jesus comes into the synagogue. He grabs the scroll and he reads it to the people. How encouraging, how powerful, how wonderful. But it goes on, verse 20. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now that's powerful. They're all receiving it. Amen, amen, amen. But in that moving of the prophetic gift in Jesus' life, Jesus says, you want, you like that scripture? Yes. You love it? Yes. Well, now it's being fulfilled right before your eyes. A person with that gifting of prophecy will often come to you with the right verse at the right time. Like you're searching for an answer. You're praying, God, help me in this. I don't understand it. And your phone rings. Hey, how you doing? Great. How are the kids? Wonderful. Hey, hey the Lord just gave me a scripture for you. I don't understand why, and I know it's kind of a weird thing, but I just want to give it to you and read it to you. Can you just write it down? On what, let's just read it together and pray. And so they read it to you, and as they're reading it, the Holy Spirit is saying, this scripture is fulfilled in your life 
today. It's the answer that you've been waiting for. You've been searching the Bible for 50 years. And God uses a gifted person to give it to you in 50 seconds. Because that's how the gift of the Spirit moves. And so you don't want to despise prophecies. You don't want to despise the Word of God coming forth into your life. You don't want to despise someone that is recognized with this gifting and speaks forth a word to you that says, I just think this is from the Lord. Don't go there. What? What do you mean don't go there? It seems like logically I should be going there. I go, no, I'm just praying and the Lord just impressed upon me. Don't go there. And then you and I have a decision. Are we going to receive that or are we not going to receive that from a person that's obviously gifted in that area? And so Jesus, he exerts, he takes the word of God and he says, boom, here it is. This is your life right now. It's being fulfilled before you. Now, how does this operate in the church? Well, you're still in Luke. Go to chapter 1. Chapter 1 in Luke, we have Zacharias here speaking a word of prophecy over his kid, John the Baptist. In verse 67 of Luke chapter 1, we have Zacharias exercising this gift. And it's so powerful as his father now, notice, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Notice how he does it. He just says forth what God has given. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Notice verse 74. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. He just gives forth these comforting, encouraging words. The Messiah has come and God is going to use my son to be part of his program. He says in verse 80, speaking of John the Baptist, how he grows up and he becomes strong and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. You know, in our fellowship here, God has used many words of prophecy to encourage us. In my own life, moving out to Colorado, as Pastor Jeff had brought my family up to the stage, as we often do here, and prayed over us and prayed over my, my wife and my kids and for us to move out, as he was praying, he prayed that God would bless Calvary Chapel Aurora. But you know, at the time he prayed that, Calvary Chapel Aurora did not exist. Not only did it not exist, but about that time we had recognized that there was already a ministry going on here in Aurora that we would probably find ourselves in another city. And it would be a Calvary Chapel in another city here in Denver somewhere. But God had impressed upon my pastor just to speak forth a word to us through prayer. It wasn't like, oh, Lord, bless Ed and Marie and the kids. And wait a minute, I got a word from the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. He, it was very natural as he was praying for us that God impressed upon him. Lord, bless this family and bless the work of Calvary Chapel Aurora long before it ever, long before we ever gathered, before I even set foot, before we had our first Bible study, before any of those things, God had prophesied through my pastor that we would exist even as we are here today. And often that word would encourage me because the spiritual warfare is intense. And so God may have someone in your life just gives you a comforting word, a comforting encouragement that becomes, you know, you might be even going through and it's a scripture from God and it becomes your life verse that you go back to time and time again to keep focus when things get tough. And so this gift is so powerful as Zacharias just speaks over his son and ministers over his son and is inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to give forth this prophecy of comfort and encouragement. And it wasn't weird. So how does it work in a person's life? 
How does the gift of prophecy start coming through? Well, it often begins with a very strong impression or thought in your heart and in your mind. God impresses upon you a word or an exhortation or a correction or an encouragement. We're just about out of time for this edition of Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Before we wrap things up, I do want to mention a few things that may be of interest to you. For those who would like to hear this study from Romans again, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also have an app, and that's a great way to catch Abounding Grace when it's most convenient. Listen to us on your mobile device. You can download it for free when you search for Calvary Aurora. There's a lot that goes into making all this happen, as you might imagine, and we look to the Lord to provide and guide. And if He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either monthly support or a one-time donation, first of all, thank you. And second, we'd like to send you something as a tangible expression of our gratitude. When you give $25 or more, you're invited to request Don Stewart's excellent book, 25 Signs We Are Near the End. In these difficult days, many are wondering how close we are to the end. Well, Don Stewart looks to the Bible to help you answer that. He believes there are 25 signs that would suggest we are near the end, like the miracle of Israel's survival, the preparations being made to build the third temple. The stage is also being set for the Ezekiel 38 and 39 invasion. Read all about it in 25 Signs We Are Near the End. Just call 877-30-GRACE and we can take your request. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. Pastor Ed, racism has been a problem in this nation for centuries, but clearly people are divided on what to do about it. What should our response as Christians be to this? I think one of the responses that God is expecting from the church today is to admit that racism is a sin in every form and that we would recognize that sin separates us from God. And it's not right for us to create labels for people and to treat them, and and this is across the board, to treat them as subhuman or to treat them in a way that doesn't honor the blood of Jesus Christ flowing in our lives. And we might be met with anger and frustration. We might be met with our own biases. Um, But what we need to be, what we need to remember is that we have all been created in the image of God. You can say that we are all, no matter the color of our skin, we are all image bearers, and we must never forget that. Never. But when one part of our culture is hurting, we need to hurt with them. We need to sit with them. We need to listen. We we need to... You have to understand. You know, let's take this back just a little bit more. You have to understand. Listen, friend. Real pain exists because of racism. And racism is not just a term for so many. It's not just a political construct. Racism equals pain. It equals looks, how they're treated, how they're avoided. It opens up old wounds, generational wounds. It it creates new fears and anxieties and real-life stings. And we would do well as the church to listen, to serve, to love, and, and it costs nothing, and it jeopardizes nothing, and it's not a compromise at all to show sympathy and empathy and understanding in a time when others are ruled by emotions. It costs nothing to stand with sinners, but it costs everything to point a finger in judgment in a time of grief and mourning. 
And I can't say it enough. The answer to the problem is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's my rule, to remind you of the life-giving, life-saving, sin-forgiving blood of Jesus Christ. And so be careful, friends, not to respond in emotions. Be careful what you're posting. Be careful what you're saying. And make sure that all that we're saying is said in love, thinking of others more highly than ourselves. It, it is a challenging time, but God enables us to rise to the occasion as we abide in the Spirit. One of the marks that you see in the early church, even though they had their issues as well on this very topic, is they were in one accord, one accord, one accord. There was a unity that literally turned the world upside down. And even with their faults and failures, they admitted it, repented, and moved on. And may the Lord help us do the same. Very well said and greatly appreciated. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. There's much more to come in Romans, so try to set aside a half hour each day to join us for Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor relates the truths we find here to everyday living. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 